Yeah. Wow, so way to let your light shine. <laughs> yeah. I, that's really been that's really been jumping out at me this last week. Like our job is to shine. Like Yeshua said, he didn't just say like you have the light of the world. He said you are light. Yes. And light shines. And he said, how do you do that? He said, let your good deeds. The Hebrew word there is mitzvot. Let your mitzvot shine so that people will see it and they'll praise your Father in heaven. The, the cool thing is the Hebrew word for praise means to shine. It's the same root. So he's like, let your light shine so that they will praise in the sense of like acknowledging the light of God and, and causing his reputation in this world to shine. And it's cool too because the word mitzvot can mean good works, but it can also mean like doing God's commandments. It's the same word, right? So every time like we do one of the things that the Father has said to do in his word, it's like we're bringing his glory to planet Earth. We're, we're shining his light in a, in a relatively dark world. So, well, the world isn't dark. It's just human society that has some darkness, I think. Well, what, what, I was thinking about that when we were driving here. Like, those massive angelic, uh, what are they, people or beings or whatever, around the throne, they, they, don't, they say, like, kadosh, 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 he's so holy. But then they say, like, the whole earth is full of his glory. They don't say it's going to be full. They say the earth is full of his glory. So maybe it just depends on our perspective, hey? Yeah. I mean, considering the fact that he generated the, 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 the cosmos through his word, and that, like, Yeshua, as the word, holds every single atom in this universe together. Remember Paul, he said, all things hold together in him. You know, on a quantum physics level, that means every atom is held together by Yeshua, the living word of yeah, God. I mean, that's the glory of God. Let's look at Romans first. Romans chapter 9. I, okay, you remember how Yeshua said like seven times over in the book of Revelation that people who are really tuned in, people who have those ears should be listening to what the Spirit says to His congregations, right? And I, I believe that there are specific times when God is underscoring specific passages and messages to the body of Messiah. And in my opinion, Romans 9 to 11 is something that the Holy Spirit is saying today very loudly. Because it deals with Israel. And increasingly, the Father's focus and the focus of His people is being brought onto Israel and the Jewish people. And of course, that doesn't just mean ethnically Jewish people. We're talking about, like you were praying, John, about waking up to the Jewish foundations of our faith, eh? The Jewish context of the New Testament, the, the Jewishness of Yeshua. So, um, this, this, in my opinion, these are very prophetic chapters for the body of Messiah today. Um... There's a lot of emotion in these chapters. Uh, Shaul is really expressing his heart, like some, some. It sounds like he's struggling for words. Like he says things like, you know, like seriously, I, I could wish that I was cut off from God and like separated from from Mashiach for the sake of my brothers, you know, the ethnically Jewish people. Wow. So, I, 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 I feel that if this is like the heart of Paul then this is the heart of Messiah, because he was like Yeshua's emissary to the non-Jewish world, right? So, I mean, this is Messiah's heart we're talking about, eh? Like, this is the heartbeat of God. And I'm beginning to suspect that if we're out of touch with Paul's heart for Israel, like, if we have a disconnect from Mashiach's heart for the Jewish people, we may not be able to understand Paul. We may not be able to understand his, his epistles, we may be in danger of misinterpreting them or maybe missing the point of some of the stuff he'd say. Because you remember what Simon Peter said, Second Peter 3. He said, you know, as also our beloved Paul, brother Paul has written, um, with the wisdom that God gave him, 
in which things in his letters are some things that are hard to understand. Here, I'll read you that passage because it's the only it's the only genre of scripture that has a warning attached to it that it's possible to misunderstand this genre. Um, this is what he says, Second uh, Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. Uh, Regard the patience of our master's salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Shaul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, you know, like twist and stuff, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness. So there's a warning attached to Paul's letters that if we're not grounded in the entirety of the Word of God, if we don't have a solid foundation in the Torah, we may be liable of misunderstanding Paul. And we may fall from that, 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 uh, that place of steadfastness that the Father has for each of us spiritually. You know, it's possible to be carried away by, quote, the error of unprincipled men. So that whole concept of God's Torah, there's a place for His, his directives in our lives. And it's possible to, to um, miss that. So well, anyway, sorry, is he, uh, said right at the end of his life that he was, as far as the Torah was concerned, he was a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Uh, right to the end of his life. And, but it's as far as Torah is concerned and not, not as far as Mishnah is concerned. Mm-hmm. Right. And All of the human traditions. Correct. Yeah, so he, he was, uh, right to the end of his life, he was Torah observant and uh, people uh, lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe when we lose sight of that, we can't understand what he's trying to say in his letters, hey, yeah. contextually. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at some of the things here that he lists belong to Israel. Now he talks here about his brothers, his kinsmen according to the flesh. Like according to the flesh means physical, right? So he's talking about physical Israel here. He's talking about ethnic Jews. And specifically, he's talking about those who are not believers in Yeshua. Because he's saying that he would, he, he, he wished he could be separated from Mashiach for them, right? And listen to this. These are the things that he says belong to them. Now notice he didn't say belonged to them before the new covenant was brought in. Notice that he didn't say belonged to them before the age of grace broke out or before a new dispensation happened or whatever. He said these are things that belong to national Israel, that belong to the physical Jewish people. Let's list them. He says um, in verse 4, to whom belongs the adoption of sons. Let's count them on our fingers. Adoption of sons. The glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the service, and in italics it says temple, so the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Mashiach? So I guess you could say that's the seventh, whose are the fathers. So those are the seven things that Paul lists continue to belong to the ethnically Jewish people. Let's just look at each one of those and just think about the ramifications of this. So the adoption is sons. I think that's cool because it means it's not enough to just be, quote, born a Jew. You have to be adopted by God. So irregardless of our ethnic backgrounds, we are all adopted into the family, eh? Mm-hmm. That puts everybody on equal footing. And he goes on to talk about that too. Um, how everything that's, quote, Israel isn't really Israel. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 8 he says, it's not the children of the flesh, flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise. So again, there he's saying, like, it's not about your descendancy or your national affiliation so much as it is about being a child of the Almighty. Like, being a son or a daughter 
of the Father in heaven. That's where it's at. Like that's her daily experience. So the adoption of sons is the first one. Right there. That is good news for the Jewish people. That is something you can preach the gospel with. Does the Jewish person have that father-son or father-daughter relationship with God? Or is God some distant entity that they're not even sure if he exists? You'd be able to say, yeah, I have like a really close relationship with him. I call him Abba. That's good news to a Jewish person. You can have a relationship like that with Yeshua. Like, okay, how many Israelis do we have at the mall right now? I think we have four, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is religious. Out of those four Israelis, let's just say that that's a cut. That, that represents the Israeli population. Let's say a quarter or so religious and the rest not. How many of them at the mall, those four, can call God Abba and really feel that? Mm-hmm. How many people in Israel can call God Abba and really feel that? That's what Yeshua brings. I'm not categorizing or judging, but I'm saying, like, if you were to ask one of them, how, how's your relationship with the Holy One? You know, do you call him Abba? I think there's more, there's more available. But heaven forbid that we would judge someone's heart or their relationship with God. Is that kind of what you're suggesting? Aside from biological anything, though, there, there are definitely some clear prophetic similarities between Joseph, the figure of Joseph in Egypt, and believers in Yeshua, the son of Joseph, in the, in the end of days. But let's, let's keep that for an Oneg discussion. Because we'll probably end up not finishing our food for about three hours. Like I usually do anyway, hey? No, I, I love it. That would be great. Yeah. Sure. So what's the, what's the second thing here that... Uh, yeah, right. Two Jews, three opinions. So however many people we have here, we should have about 300 opinions. Hey? So what's the second thing that he says belongs to national Israel? The glory. Get that. The glory belongs to Israel. So if the body of Christ is crying out for the glory of God, and we are, then what's the key? What's one of the keys? Get grafted in. Get grafted in. We are not going to go there without Israel. The body of Christ is not going to go there without Messianic Judaism. In fact, it might be Messianic Judaism that leads the pack into the glory of God in the end of days. That's my, that's my personal opinion. So, just remember that. The glory belongs to Israel. You cannot yes. separate the glory of God and Israel. You, you, try and, you try and like shove the people of Israel out of the equation, and you're going to end up shoving God and His glory out of the equation too. And you have the Dark Ages, historically speaking, as a result. Um, number three, the covenants. Did you notice he said it in the plural there? Which covenants was he talking about continued to belong to the nation of Israel? Abrahamic. The Abrahamic covenant. Isaac covenant. Sure. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll clump that as the Abrahamic. The Sinai, which is what? Okay, the Mosaic covenant. The Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. Noahite covenant. Okay, sure. Throw that one in there. That one's for everybody, so it's for Israel too. The Noahic. Okay, so did you get that though? Paul did not, like in in Paul's theology of covenants, Paul did not teach that the new covenant is the only covenant that is legitimate or that stands. Paul taught that the previous covenants continued to belong to a specific people group. Like, take note of that, because that has massive ramifications. Like, okay, what are some of the signs that God gave of some of those covenants? The rainbow. I love that one. Shabbat. Shabbat is a sign. We talked about that during our our worship time. Huh? Circumcision. Circumcision is a sign. Okay. Hmm? The temple. The temple. Yeah. You could maybe see that. 
Um, another one was tefillin. God said, this is a yeah. sign, bind it on your hand and on your forehead. Yes. You know, the phylacteries. Mm-hmm. So just stop and think about that for a moment. The covenants of God belong to national Israel. Those signs that he gave, they're like wedding rings. They're like special gifts that God gave to his beloved Israel. And, and really, so, like, who are we to say, yeah, those signs don't matter anymore, like, poo-poo on that, right? That those are precious gifts from God to his beloved Israel. It's kind of like, that's not our business to go get in there and say that doesn't matter anymore. That's between him and Israel. That's something I understand from that. Um, by the way, I really, I appreciate it. Greg and I have talked about this, and I said, Greg, if you ever think, I'm, I, if I'm ever saying something you disagree with, call me on it right there. Because um, I appreciate that, right? So if you ever disagree with me, seriously, call me on it, right? Let's learn together. Um, I, I think maybe that's how the Spirit will like, give us the big picture sometimes. He will check us. Yeah, right. So what's the next one? Covenants. The giving of the Torah. Torah. Okay, so God gave the Torah to who? Israel. To Israel, that's correct. <clears throat> um, Paul talked about that too in like... Uh, Romans chapter 3, he says, so well, what's the advantage of uh, being Jewish? What's the benefit of being circumcised? There isn't, un- there isn't any at all. No, that isn't how we finish. <coughs> he said, great in every, great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So there is historically a group of people that have been entrusted with the oracles of God. The Torah was given to the Jewish people. So if we're returning to the Torah, there's a certain place for saying thank you to the Jewish people for like taking the hits through the dark ages and standing for God's word. There's a place for looking at, for asking the question, how traditionally have the Jewish people approached this passage? How have they interpreted it? How have the Jewish people done this mitzvah? Not necessarily that that way is always ironclad and fallible and foolproof, but it, it's a... Boaz Michael introduced me to the term uh, of it's like an essential point of reference. So when you come to the Torah with a question, when you come to a commandment, and you have a question about its practical application, it's good to start with the traditional one and just have a look at it as an essential point of reference. And I, I appreciate that approach. Wow, that's cool. Genevieve and I were praying about that this morning. Like We pray and we really like cut loose when we pray when we're driving here. Sometimes we end up praying most of the way. And this morning, like I... I I felt like he was really saying something greater is here. Yes. You remember he said that. He would reference something like the temple. He would reference something like Shabbat observance. And he'd say, and something greater is here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's this place, that this role that Israel plays, mm-hmm. but it's greater. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, hey John? Mm-hmm. Or like the kingdom of, Yeshua preached the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is a massive and overarching. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much bigger than just the yeah, Jewish people. But it seems that somehow the whole this whole this whole passage, this whole idea has kind of gotten somehow eliminated from our theology. So maybe that's why this is something the Holy Spirit is specifically emphasizing in, mm-hmm. at this time in the body of Messiah. You have to snip verse three out of this thing to be able to say that though, because he says he references his brothers, his kinsmen according to the flesh, in other words on a physical level. Yeah. And he says that it was it's for them he wishes that he could be a Christian separate from Mashiach. So he's talking about non believing Jews here. Yeah. And then he says who are Israelites, so he's not delegitimizing non believing Jews. Mm-hmm. And then he says to whom belongs, present tense, positive. So I mean that could be a verse to fall back on there. It's like it's it's man, that speech that Prime Minister Harper gave about anti Semitism Semitism, that was a banner speech. Like, I keep re- referring back to that in my own mind. Because he talks about the three Ds that we are to battle when it comes to anti-Semitism. And one of them was delegitimization. 
There's this agenda in the media, there's an agenda on, in the world scene, there's an agenda, even in the Christian community, to delegitimize Israel. And we have to stand against that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? One of the flagship verses for the delegitimization of Israel is the one that says, they're not all Israel who are called Israel. Yeah. So people say, well, state of Israel, not really Israel. Eh, Zion, not really Israel. But, but who are we to say that? Greg, like you're saying, hey, like, we are not, that is not our place to say that. <laughs> and they forget about the covenants. The covenants. That's where it says Israel is blessed, and those who curse Israel mm-hmm. will be cursed. No, mm-hmm. the, the government, government. Yeah, but they always say, say it's all conditional. Yeah. Yeah. they're all conditional, not not forever. <laughs> so are right. it does some say are forever. Some are unconditional. Yeah, God did make a unilateral covenant what, between the parts with Abraham. He didn't make any conditions with that one. That's right. right. In Genesis, in the Abrahamic covenant, he just said, "I will bless those who bless you." He never said, "If you anything." He just said, "This is the way it's going to be." So the Mosaic covenant has more conditions attached to it. The Abrahamic covenant is unilateral. What's the next thing that he says belongs to national Israel? You know, it says the service, and then in italics on the NASB it says the temple, so they added that there, so we know what we're talking about. This is interesting because, do you know what the Hebrew word for the temple service is? It's called the Avodah, A-V-O-D-A-H, the Avodah. It's like um, when you serve God, you're like Avodahing God. I'm trying to stick a Hebrew word into English here, right? But kind of, kind of that idea. Actually, um, it, it's also the word for working. Like to avod means to work. It's like uh, in Hebrew, it says like sheshet yamim ta'avod, like six days do avodah. Six days do your work, and then you know Shabbat is Shabbat, right? So I have a story for you about that. Um, I have an Orthodox Jewish friend in Israel whom I was working with when I met Jennifer, and his name is Nir, and. Uh, Near, like, he, Hebrew is definitely his first tongue, and English is a second language. And so sometimes with his English, like, he'll use Hebrew grammar patterns and concepts, and they, it's kind of like some places in the New Testament, and you're like, whoever it is who wrote this thing, he was thinking of Hebrew. He's trying to express himself. It's like, a, I don't know, I'm like a Hebrew hand in a Greek or English glove or something, you know what I'm saying? But um, anyway, he would talk about working Hashem, like, you know, of course, Orthodox Jewish people refer to God as Hashem, the name. I think we all know that. But anyway, so he would talk about working God, working Hashem. And at first, I didn't know what he was talking about. Like, it sounds like a slot machine or something, like working God. And then I realized, oh, the Hebrew word that he ta- has in mind is the word that means to work, to serve, or to worship. So when he talks about serving and worshiping God, he accidentally translated it as working God, right? It's kind of funny. But anyway, so this, this term here, avodah, that's what it means. It means like the service, and it specifically refers to the temple service. It's also the term that the Jewish people use for the traditional prayers that are prayed several times a day. Um, like the shacharit prayers in the morning, uh, mincha prayers in the afternoon, mariv, like sometime later at night. Um, if, if you've ever seen a siddur, like a traditional Jewish prayer book, you read some of those prayers. Some of those were prayed by Paul and the early disciples in the Second Temple era. So, you know, to Paul's mind, the Avodah was primarily the temple service, but it also meant the traditional prayer service. Um, we incorporate some of those prayers in our liturgy, you know, as, as, as I've prayerfully waited before Yeshua about how he wants our expression of worship to look like. Like, you know, when we bless God before and after the Torah readings, those were blessings. These, those are ancient blessings. Like that stuff that Paul and Yeshua prayed, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, historically, there's pretty good evidence for that. So, 
That's why we do it. Paul would have even viewed that as like part of the, the quote, Avodah, the service of the temple service. It is interesting that he didn't say that like the temple service was something that belonged to Israel. He says it's something that continued to belong to Israel. Yeah. And then he says the promises. Which promises is he talking about that belong to Israel? The seed of the woman? Yeah, that's one that belongs to all humanity, really. Uh huh. The promises you made to Abraham. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. That Abraham would have a really, really big family. This um, goes over to Exodus 4.22. It says the promise... Say to is to Pharaoh, thus says Lord Israel is my son, my firstborn. Hmm. Right. One of the promises. And the land. The land of Israel is a very central promise, absolutely. And the curses and the blessings. Blessings, blessings yeah, and exactly. curses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that says it all, I think, in that, in that particular verses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Yahweh also made some promises in Deuteronomy thirty about an end of days revival of the Israeli people where they would like wake up and seek him with all their hearts and return to the land of Israel and experience a new covenant experience like circumcision of the heart Mm -hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 is called the chapter of repentance in Judaism and it's read every morning from the first day of the sixth month of Elul to uh, up all the way till Yom Kippur the tenth day of the seventh month because it's just a time of repentance eh? so those promises those belong to Israel circumcision of the heart like national revival going back to the land so it's just it's notable that he didn't say those things belong to Israel the promise of the land of Israel continues to belong to Israel maybe we take that for granted but you know a lot of people just don't see it or they don't think it matters anymore and I don't know when I read Paul I think it does matter I think according to Paul who was sent from Messiah to us coming from a Gentile background or whatever that matters Actually, I have a little story for you along those lines. I, I thought you'd appreciate this story. So, um, one day, a diver was enjoying the aquatic world 20 feet below sea level. He noticed a guy at the same depth he was, but he had on no scuba gear whatsoever. The diver went below another 20 feet, but the guy joined him a few minutes later. The diver went below 25 feet, but minutes later the same guy joined him again. This confused the diver, so he took out a waterproof chalk and board set and wrote, How are you able to stay under this deep without equipment? The guy took the board and chalk, erased what the diver had written, and wrote, I'm drowning, you moron! Maybe, maybe that's an extreme instance, but sometimes I wonder, like, if we couldn't see Paul today, if he wouldn't have similar feelings, like, like, you know, if someone talks in water, you know how it sounds, right? But maybe, maybe some of the stuff Paul is, like, wanting to say to us, and it just sounds like a bunch of bubbles and noise, and we're just not getting it, right? So, I, I don't know. I just kind of wonder when it comes to some of this material. I, I think along that lines, like, sometimes the church is like that, like, we think the, the world is like, okay... Somehow they're surviving through a tough time, whatever. Mm. But they're drowning, and we just don't realize it. Wow. That really impacts me, yeah. We're so trained to, like, put on a facade in our culture, eh? 
Like if someone asks you how you're doing, you don't really say how you're doing, especially if you're depressed or feeling suicidal or whatever, eh? Struggling? Hmm. There's one other location here where, where Paul really shares his heart. In uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it's along those lines too. Uh, he just says, My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for Yeshua, for salvation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool that Yeshua's name means salvation. Same thing, right? Yeah. So I just, I think about that. And I can think of times when like, I have no heart's desire for the na- nation of Israel, when mm-hmm. I have no prayer to God for the Jewish people. Like It's just not in me. But I, I sincerely believe that Messiah wants to come and ignite that fire in us. That he wants to share that area of his heart with us. And uh, I'd like to even like start praying for Israel more regularly, you know, in our worship times and stuff. It's I have such a heart for Canada and for our province, right? That I often pray for Canada or province, but I want to remember to pray some like overseas um long range like prayer missile prayers also, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that guy that came from Yorkton in the spring and, and he showed us pictures from Israel. He said something very profound. He said that they have been praying for us for thousands of years. Like yeah. you talk about the month of Elul, um, mm-hmm. when they, they, the time of repentance. Mm-hmm. That also affects us because all those prayers are cumulative. They're all building up like mm-hmm. a fortune in, in a bank. And mm-hmm. one day there's going to be this, this payout. So we need, to, yeah. we need to see them in a whole new light. Mm-hmm. We need to see that they're praying for us yeah, I, I felt that with regard to Roxanne's law too, eh? Yes. Like how many of you were following that? It was the law they, were, they, were, they introduced in Parliament to um, protect women from coercion to have an abortion. And uh, it lost in the legislature by, what was it, like 10 of you? Do you remember the figures? 180 to, to 90 or something like that. I mean, it's a sad reflection of where we're at as a country, really. Yeah. But, but, but people were fasting for that thing. People were like crying their eyes out and praying for that thing. And I don't believe those prayers are in vain. I, I think prayer is like, okay, you know when like condensation happens and moisture goes up into the sky, what happens to it? It collects. It doesn't just disappear. It starts to gather in clouds, and those clouds thicken. And eventually they become massive thunderheads, and then they start to just dump their rain, right? And I, 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 I sense that's what happens with our prayers. Like they go up. The prayers that, were go, that went up for Roxanne's Law were not in vain. They're condensing in the heavens, like, and there's like massive thunder clouds building. And when the time is right, like those clouds are going to break, and they're going to rain Canada with righteousness. Like he's going to shower a nation with righteousness, and and there are going to be some lightning bolts of the justice of God too. I think, like his thunder is going to happen. Yeah. So let's continue praying, even when at first glance it doesn't seem like anything's happening. The prayers are being stored up. You know, Hitler aggressively took power of the country through unrighteous means. He took it. He was never given it. I believe that we can do the same through righteous means. Amen. And it doesn't have to be political. Like, when when the people of God get aggressive in prayer and, and really, like, get angry at unrighteousness and become intolerant of evil and we begin praying on that level, we are taking... We are doing what Hitler did, but in a good sense. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, I mean, like, it's not the political body that rules Canada. That's true. It, when, when, when we pray, 
that is what truly moves the nation. What has to be issue is prayer, right? Because mm -hmm. unless, like, unless we receive His prayers via His Spirit, they hit the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. I have one more thing I want to hit here before we finish. <laughs> so let's let's kind of streamline for a moment. Um, there, okay. Here, here's something. Here's something practical where this verse has been often misunderstood. Uh, Romans 10:4 says, "For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes." Uh, end can mean one of two things. It can mean goal, or it can mean termination. And they're radically different. <laughs> for instance, uh, my relationship with Genevieve had an end of marriage. But does that mean that my relationship with Genevieve terminated when we got married? Or does it mean that we, we reached a certain goal in our relationship? Um, the, the Greek term there is telos, and it means goal. So it doesn't necessarily say, say that like Yeshua is the termination of the law, because he said, don't you think such a thing in Matthew chapter 5, right? Don't think I came to do away with the law. So how could we understand this passage? I think it would be best understood as saying, the goal of the Torah is Messiah. When we study the Torah, when we do stuff in it, if we're catching the whole point of the thing, it's going to point to Yeshua. It's going to exalt Messiah. And we're going to end up in a closer intimacy with Him. So even stuff like uh, me wearing tzitzit, the goal of these is to have a closer walk with Yeshua. When we gather on Shabbat like we're doing, the, the, the end of that is that fellowship with the Father through Yeshua, right? So that's the idea there. It's like if we miss that, we miss the whole point of God's law. And uh, we end up, you know, spinning our wheels and stuff. Um, one other practical thing here that really hit me was where he said, what we, like, our, our whole faith and, like, what level it is on which we believe. And he says it's with our hearts in verse 9. It's not, with our, it's not with our heads. It's not with intellectual assent. It's not by praying necessarily even a sinner's prayer. It's like believing with your heart. And I just feel like, man, everything in our society is out to like take our hearts out. Seriously. Like Satan hits us from so many directions with the intent of causing you to lose heart. But when we lose heart, we can't believe God anymore. Because it's with your heart that you believe. So, like, as a community, I hope that we can be a fellowship of the heart. Like, I hope that we can challenge each other on a heart level. I hope that we can bring life to each other's hearts. I hope that, like, if we get together and someone, like, their heart just isn't there, I hope we can say, well, how's it going? Where, where's your heart at? You know, because that's what we're there to do. Because, you know, we overcome the world through our faith, and our faith happens on a heart level. Not just an intellectual ascent level, so that's a practical thing. One thing from the Parsha that totally dovetails with this passage from Romans is Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. Let's just look at a couple of like the, the hallmark dynamics there. In Genesis chapter 45, I have, I think, about three things about that. Firstly, this was a very emotional moment for Joseph. He could hardly keep from bawling. Like he had all, the, all of his courtiers and the Egyptian bureaucrats out of the room and he just broke down and he cried and he cried. He cried on Benjamin's neck. He cried on his brother's neck. If Joseph is a picture of Yeshua and Joseph revealing himself to his brothers who were led by Judah is a picture of Yeshua, the son of Joseph, Mashiach ben Yosef, revealing himself to his brothers, i.e. the people of Israel led by Judah, right, Jewish people, then that is something that's going to be a very emotional time for Yeshua. Like, the depths of our Savior's heart are going to be crying out when He reveals Himself to the Jewish people. 
Mm-hmm. I want to be there to see it. I think I'm going to be yeah. willing to. When that starts, like, it's, it's happening in our generation. Mm-hmm. In the last 40 or 50 years, like, mm-hmm. more Jewish people have come to Yeshua than in the last 14, 15, 1600 years combined. Mm-hmm. So it's happening. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel that, like, that critical mass hasn't happened yet. Where Yeshua just says, here I am. This is who I really <coughs> am. Is my father still alive? So that's the first thing. That's Messiah's heart in our generation. And we can be a part of it. That's why we're here. Like That's why we're a Messianic congregation. This is about Messiah's heart. right? It's not about playing religious games or doing, doing stuff different because we want to be special. It's about Messiah's heart. Um, that's the first thing. Secondly, 45 verse 1. It says he, he, he cleared everybody out of the room. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, it was just him and his brothers. What does that mean? It means that when Yeshua sets about revealing himself to the Jewish people, he doesn't need you or me. He, you know how he's revealing himself to Muslims around the world. Like, there's no one in the room. He just comes and speaks to a Muslim audibly or reveals himself in a, in a vision or whatever, eh? That's what it's going to be like with the Jewish people, too. And I mean, hey, I, I, I hope that I could show it. I hope that I can shine in the life of, of Israel. I hope that I can really like represent Messiah. I'd love to be a part of that. But ultimately, he does not need missionaries. He just is going to do it. Amen. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's like this this is our this is our, our future. I believe in the near future. Um, when he says like I'm Joseph, I'm Yosef, what's the next thing he says? He says, um Od Avichai. He says, Is my father still alive? Um, you know the song like the people of Israel live and then what's the next line it's like um, it still is happening or like our father is alive our fathers are still alive right and um, I mean hey Yeshua said Abraham, Isaac and Jacob they're still alive so you know that, that holds water theologically but just, just think about that the heart of Messiah when he reveals himself is to say I value our inheritance from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I stand for that covenant. The heritage left by Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, it will live on. That, that's what I hear, like the reverberations of Yeshua's heart in what Joseph said. Um, that, there's going to be that dynamic when Yeshua reveals himself. Um, 45 verse 4, his brothers were freaking out because they had some murder in their hearts. Um, generally, rabbinic Judaism has been pretty good about being meek in the nations, about not retaliating, about like keeping away from murder. There was one instance in 132 to 135 where Bar Kokhba rose up. Um, Rabbi Akiva proclaimed him the Messiah. He was a false Messiah. Everybody knows it now. Often in traditional Judaism, he's called Bar Koziva instead, which means son of the lie, instead of Bar Kokhba, son of the star, referring to that messianic prophecy in Genesis about you know, the star coming from Jacob. So anyway, that was a very brutal time for the messianic Jews in Israel. They knew that Yeshua was the Mashiach, and they weren't willing to compromise that, and a lot of them were brutally murdered for it by Bar Kokhba's henchmen. So that was that was part of the founding of the Judaism that currently exists. There is a root of severe malice and even a murderous spirit towards believers in Yeshua. It's, yes. it, 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 there, there is that dark chapter, okay? Yes. So when you see, when we have like Joseph revealing himself to his brothers and his brothers are freaking out because they realized what they did, there might be that element too. Well, going all the way back to Bar Kokhba as a false messiah yeah. and early persecution of Messianic Jews. Um, 45 or 6, it was the second year of this seven-year 
global crisis, this massive famine, the, the tribulation of that generation when he revealed himself. What that means is like if there's some great tribulation period, if there's massive global crisis, it may be in that context that this revelation of Yeshua begins to come yeah. to national Israel. Yeah. So who knows, we're all probably going to be hunkering down and trying to survive when that's happening. Or, or maybe we'll be right in the thick of it. I hope we can be right in the thick of it. Yeah, that's that's the the shows the Lord provides. Mm-hmm. Amen, that's true. And the last verse about that is, uh, I think it's very depictive of the Messianic Jewish move of God today. In uh, Genesis chapter 46, verse 28, this is what we read. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Um, So we have this figure here of Israel, and he sends Judah. The Hebrew term there for sent is shalach. It's the same word for a shaliach, which is like an apostle or an emissary of Messiah. So it's saying he sent Judah as an apostle before his face to Joseph out in the nations to point the way out. The Hebrew word there for pointing out the way is the same word for Torah. Pointing. The Torah is like your pointer, right? So what does that say today? Okay, 2,000 years ago, the picture I get from this is like the God of Israel sending Judah, sending his Jewish apostles to the nations as pictured by Joseph on a, on, a, on, a, on a metaphorical level, to point the way for them, to give them God's Torah, to bring them to the worship of the one true God. How does that apply today? The Messianic Jewish movement is like Judah. And the Father is sending Judah with an apostolic mantle, with that anointing of an emissary representing Mashiach, to Joseph, i.e. the greater body of Messiah, Gentile believers, to what? To point out the way for them to Goshen. To uh, teach them God's Torah. Messiah's version, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I just look at this verse, and it's like so brimming with, with the history of the Yeshua movement for the last two thousand years. It's so prophetic for, for today. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, and here we are. <laughs> We're part of that. Well, let's let's leave it at that for today. Shalom. I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.